0: If you're going through a tough time and you're looking for some support maybe a podcast is not the best place
1: for you yeah exactly and mental health can be a bit tricky and support should always be personalized so we created the recharge program to do exactly that so the recharge program is your one-stop
0: shop for all things mental health support it's an online program that allows you to have the best and most experienced clinical experts at your fingertips without the intimidating kind of setting of a clinical approach
1: Exactly. So this is how it works. We match you up with the best counsellor for your needs. You get one-to-one time with your own mental health nurse, over 200 plus minutes of content, weekly workshops with us and guest experts in different fields such as emotional eating, anger management, addiction and more.
0: So usually this will cost an arm and a leg, but we've
1: worked really hard to give you payment options for as cheap as about 30 bucks a week. So if this resonates with you, jump onto rechargewellness.com.au and click get started to talk to our team and see if this is right for you.
0: So that's rechargewellness.com.au.
2: Autism is so unique in that there are so many challenges Mm. that someone who is autistic experiences. They experience social difficulties. They don't understand any sarcasm or some forms of Mm. communication even. They struggle with their self. Everything that they know they've had to learn, you know, things that come naturally to you or I don't come naturally to them and they need to be like taught everything.
0: Going on ladies and gentlemen welcome to the uncovered podcast with nick and femi and it's another day another beautiful morning it's you're here with your host mr smooth chocolate <laughs> guys come on this is, serious. This is, this is a serious podcast <laughs> no
1: you're <laughs> right you're right i'm sorry
0: anyway sorry guys it's mr smooth chocolate here mr femi um, i'm gonna introduce my co-host
1: mr nazi What's going on, man? So I didn't go by Neezy an anymore. I've kind of. Oh, so you're kind of Nick Evs now? Nick Evs now, yeah. What's going on, Changed. Nick Evs? Yeah, thank you. Doing really well. Up. Doing really well. What about you look yourself? nice with your haircut. Yeah, hey, I appreciate it, man. You know. You single? No. Damn. Spilling. Did you not talk to her? That's a bit inappropriate. <laughs> sorry, man. To be honest, <laughs> I Sorry, sorry HR, this. don't look at this. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any to. Anyone, city. anyone who's listening to the podcast like, about. <laughs> what what, what am I listening to?
0: Mental health. Mental health. <laughs> Should I lay? one
1: needs to know about this.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's allowed. Kneesy knees, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Nick Evs, yeah, yeah. How are you, Do sir? Doing really well. Champion. You're looking well, very yourself. handsome. Thank you. You so sounded much. very nice just off the air. I don't know if they recorded that, but it,
1: it was very different. Oh, so what about now?
0: No, it's back to. <laughs> but I get to. But
1: it's it's I right, so go grouping. back so to see one. No, 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 I want you to be you. I want you well, to that's kind of how I sound anyway. Like what you heard. So Great. So. No, it looks good.
0: Stick to. all right, you do you, yeah, thank you.
1: But luckily,
0: yeah. thankfully, it's not yeah. about you today, never about me. It isn't, no, <laughs> yeah. but it's about someone that actually, how do I say this nicely, knows what they're talking about?
1: What? No, oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no feelings are hurt in the making of this, <laughs> Shit, tough crowd, yeah. No, but we have uh, actually, someone that. I'm really excited to talk to you we've been having a lot of laughs but also we know this person actually has a lot to say about a topic that's actually really interesting a little bit different Mm. and I'm excited to to, you know pick their brain a little bit and get a little bit more information and knowledge and wisdom out of them Ms. Emily Hanlon how are you ma'am
2: I'm good thanks for having me
0: I'm very pleasure pleasure (laughs) thanks for coming all the way you know it's been a big Track for you exactly. to come out. I just
2: stopped for snacks on the way. It was I
1: mean, a yeah. long drive. Yeah, it is. It, is. it is. Do you want us to go by Emily or do you want us to call you the playful psychologist? Like
2: oh Emily's fine. Emily's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: cool. Uh, cool. Well I was just trying to plug you up oh, W W, w- right? you pick up the <laughs> hit. I'm like, right, I'm call you. Who's Emily? But- We'll be like, my bad, my bad.
0: No, we'll give you like a big intro like, a, like you're a wrestler. Emily, the playful <laughs> psychologist, Hanlon. I don't know what this is going to play. <laughs> Damn.
2: <laughs> Beautiful.
0: This is, uh, if this isn't the best intro you've heard all morning.
2: I'm, I'm here for it.
0: Uh, look, man, you're listening to a lot of good podcasts there. Yeah, this you send sending me. my way okay. back. This is, this, is, this
1: is top quality. But how are you, though?
2: I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good.
1: That's crazy. This is actually one of the best intro that have ever done, to be honest. So Why is that? I don't know. It just the, the vibes were just there. Mm. And it made me just realize how important vibes are when you're doing a podcast. Like, sometimes when the vibes aren't there, you can really just tell in the intro.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think that people, if you don't know by now, we like to have fun. Nah. So <laughs> That's this it. podcast is going to be fun. It's going to be talking about something that is actually really informative. But we're going to have a laugh and have some fun while <laughs> doing it because life is not serious. That's it. Life yeah. is a lot of fun, and you can have fun talking about, quote-unquote. Yeah, exactly, yeah. everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what... What? Who is Emily? What is the Playful Psychologist? What do you do? What's your story? Et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, so I'm, I'm Emily. Yeah. Um, I have a business called the Playful Psychologist and basically I'm a clinical psychologist that works in the area of anxiety and um, developmental delay. And the Playful Psychologist is just all about creating resources that parents, teachers and other therapists can use mm. with clients to help develop their social skills, their emotional awareness and regulation and just really help in developing those skills that some kids lack in.
1: Yeah, Mm. that's really Mm. interesting. And I think it's something that we don't actually speak about a lot. Like a lot of people probably heard developmental delay, but they don't actually know what it means. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to the people that are listening, like what is developmental delay and what are the different types um, of delays that it presents as?
2: So there's a a lot of different developmental Mm. delays. But basically neurodevelopmental disorders are disabilities that kind of um, impair the functioning of the brain. So how the brain works, how the brain develops over time, and then how that individual is able to communicate in effective ways with people in their environment and the environment themselves. So there are, like I said, there's a few developmental disorders, but I guess the most common ones that we know about are autism, ADHD and ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder. So if you're just looking at ODD, that's just kind of characterised by a lot of defiance towards authority figures. So you may be thinking like, oh, yeah, I was a bit (coughs) like that at school towards teachers, towards parents, but it's more than that. Like these kids really, really struggle with authority. Right. And then you've got ADHD. Um, So that's kind of your inattentive, impulsive, hyperactive kids. And there's a little bit of a chemical imbalance in in how the brain works, I guess. And that's why a lot of kids with ADHD may take medication because Mm. medication can help balance out those imbalances that they have. Um, There's two types. You can be like a predominantly inattentive type, predominantly hyperactive, or you can be a combination of both. Mm. So that's ADHD in a really small nutshell. And then you've got autism, which is a spectrum disorder. So you've got three levels of autism and basically if you're looking at autism, it's all about um, the challenges that kids have in regards to social skills, in regards to their theory of mind, so their ability to understand the perspective of perspectives of others um their emotional regulation and that sort of thing and there are three levels a lot of people don't like that there are levels of autism and i personally don't like that there's only three because i think it's such a huge spectrum Mm, um that that doesn't cover everyone effectively but you've got your level one which is you know your quote unquote high functioning individuals then you've got level two which is moderate and then you've got level three which is Again, quote unquote, severe. So, uh, if you are diagnosed with level three, you may some level three diagnoses can talk and can verbally communicate, but others can't. Some may not be able to fully, um, you know, engage in self-care skills and and those daily living <coughs> skills and that sort of thing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I got a, co- a lot of questions about that because I want to uh, about what you said about ADHD as well mm. because I found that like. I don't know if people have been seeing a lot more, but more people as adults are getting diagnosed with mm. ADHD, and they're realizing, okay, why did I struggle at school? I never went and got diagnosed, blah, mm. blah, 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 especially with ethnics as well. because yeah. I think that ethnic ethnic parents in general don't absolutely <laughs> don't, really. don't, no. don't, don't get I know diagnosed it. or anything. <laughs> no. I got hella allergies that no one wants to talk about. but <laughs> like, you know, yeah. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but like ethnic parents usually just don't do that. Yeah, like, yeah. so. I want to talk about that a little mm. bit more about, like, how do you... What, what would your recommendations be from someone that is probably feeling like, maybe I do. Mm. I might be having some of those, like, signs and symptoms. Yeah. Do I go and get diagnosed and will that help me be able to, you know, quote-unquote, function? Yeah.
2: Well, I think when it comes to anything like the diagnosis has to serve a purpose mm. so for example even if you look at like anxiety a person that worries a lot um, you might have two people that worry a lot but it really impacts one person's daily living functioning and their daily living skills and then yeah. the other person it doesn't affect them at all so that person doesn't necessarily need the diagnosis but the person whose life it really affects does need it yeah. and I'd say the same with ADHD if you are in adulthood and you're really struggling to work and you're really struggling to just you know um, get on the same page as your peers even mm. and you really really think that there's something going on for you then yeah absolutely go see your GP or go see a psychologist and maybe look into that further but I will say that ADHD isn't something that you develop as you get older if you have ADHD you had it as a child
0: yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <clears throat> so does that exacerbate over time like let's say like family was saying it's not of people, managed yeah if not managed is it something that's like it, it becomes so like significant now to a point where it's like okay you're going to need medication or you need to do that or if you feel like someone that's managed for such a long time and maybe you haven't been exposed to I don't know some of the things that kind of exacerbate ADHD or any of the neurodevelopmental disorders is there anything that exacerbates them
2: there's definitely things that exacerbate probably more so like autism in regards like sensory difficulties and some of those sensory triggers with ADHD it's actually a little bit of the opposite so a lot of People say, like, I grew out of my ADHD. And while I don't think that's necessarily, like, possible to grow out of a neurodevelopmental Mm. disorder, (laughs) um, hence the category. (laughs) (laughs) um, I definitely think, like, as you get older, so, like, there are a lot of kids that were, like, took medication at school but when they left school and those demands of formal schooling weren't necessarily there anymore they don't need it anymore and they're better able to function in society because they're able to adapt and pick and choose like what works for them and what doesn't so i would say in in most aspects obviously not for everyone but as you get older managing adhd can become easier
0: Mm. yeah right Mm. so okay i think that's a very good perspective because Mm. it's like you can probably diagnose a lot of people with a lot of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we see that a lot, and that's yeah. why we have issues with you know, misdiagnosis. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But I want to ask you going back about autism as well, because ADHD I think is like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I had yeah. another question about autism yeah. as well. Asperger's an autism. Mm. What's the difference? Well, how do you make sense of it? Or is that a category within the spectrum? Because it's, it, it, it's part of the spectrum, right? So
2: yeah. So Asperger's was its own diagnosis right? under the previous like diagnostic criteria. Yeah. Now, since 2013, I'm pretty sure, we got a new diagnostic criteria and Asperger's as a its own diagnosis no longer exists. Yeah, so right. So people that were formally diagnosed as... Aspergers are now autism level one, so they would be what you classify as your high functioning autistic
0: people. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh. That's so interesting. Did, oh, that's so. I had mm. no idea. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's crazy. We like, still, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. You still say? Yeah. We still. You say to say it like oh, yeah, 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 for yeah, yeah. sure, yeah. Yeah. for sure. And so many people still identify as as being Aspergers, not being autistic. So it's it's really it's tricky, and it doesn't like I don't know. Everyone's going to have their own opinion, and not everyone may agree. But I just don't think that was the smartest choice because you have someone that like is you know has level one autism for example they may really struggle and i'm not taking away from their struggles but they can still get married they can drive a car they Mm. can go to university and they have a separate set of difficulties how can someone with level one autism then have the same technical classification or technical diagnosis as someone that's completely nonverbal and can't communicate verbally will never live alone will never be able to shower by themselves will never Mm. be able to cook their own meal like Mm. it just doesn't make a lot of sense
0: yeah, right. Because yeah. we had no, because like Nick was saying, we still use it in, mm. the, in the clinical setting. Yeah. Like, some will come in and part of the diagnosis list is yeah. Asperger's. That's so interesting. Yeah. That it, uh, mm. Well, at least
1: just at our hospital anyway. I don't know about all the other clinical settings. Yeah, look. That's very true. put it that's very true. <laughs> I know, when I, in case you're listening, I'm like, yeah, hey. Yeah. Maybe
0: <laughs> <neighbor> we <laughs> should that out just in case yeah. we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you guys have just I made a mean, big thing it to us. first off is like,
2: Cancel, <laughs> <laughs> opera's okay.
0: on the phone. <laughs> Dear Mr. Febby and Nick, you are so fired.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh God, moving on, oh god. But the thing about it that we yeah. find,
0: even being in the mental health setting, we find a lot of people with developmental delays, yeah. it's like it's synonymous with, mm. with mental health issues mm. and, and yep. the stress and anxiety and also depression. Absolutely. What's the correlation there? Why does that happen? And you know, obviously there's the struggles associated with having those developmental delays, but do you want to go into a little bit more detail as to why that would happen?
2: Yes, for sure. So if you look at just like, let's look at autism, for example, there are so many, autism is so unique in that there are so many challenges that Mm. someone who is autistic experiences. They experience social difficulties. They don't understand any sarcasm or some forms of Mm. communication even. They struggle with their self. Everything that they know they've had to learn you know things that come naturally to your eye don't come naturally to them and they need to be like taught everything yeah. and that can be really frustrating yeah. and I- if you think about it it's kind of I always describe it like you've got this puzzle piece that kind of fits but doesn't quite fit and yeah. you're trying to jam it into a society that's not made for it yeah mm-hmm. and then imagine you just go every day <laughs> of your life feeling like you don't fit in and this world that you're in just isn't made for someone like you yeah. that's going to result in you know anxiety levels being increased or You know, Mm. mood disorders being... Really are prevalent in that community and stuff yeah. because there's so many challenges and there's I guess only so much that one individual can take before they crack. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred
1: percent. And I want to—I know that you've shared a lot on social media about you having a younger brother that also was um, that suffers with autism. Yeah. What was that kind of experience like? Because I know it presents differently for so many different people. Yeah, for and sure. I can imagine what it's like for the individual, but mm. even for someone that's caring or part of a family member or friends, like, what was that journey like?
2: Yeah. So my brother is five years younger than me, and he is classified as level two so moderately functioning so just to put that in perspective he's verbal like he can communicate verbally Um, he could like with with travel training he can catch public transport Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of thing but he doesn't do a lot of stuff independently without like a support worker or me or my parents and that sort of thing so for me as a sibling that was very hard because even though my parents obviously tried so hard to split their attention evenly between us Mm -hmm. he naturally required a lot more attention Mm -hmm. and I definitely think that from a siblings perspective we just don't talk enough about how having a family member with a developmental disorder affects the family but in particular affects the the typically developing sibling in that family yes Mm. yeah Yeah.
0: and how did that affect you
2: um it was very like for me it was it's just very anxiety provoking so um you know i i didn't want to have friends over at my house i wanted to always go to my friends houses because i and looking back i'm like how could i expect them to to understand autism when I didn't mm. even understand it at the time. But, you know, so many kids would ask, like, oh, does your brother have a disease? And I'd take that really personally. Like, mm. to this day, I remember exactly who that was when they said it. Yeah, and, right. and I'm like, man, I hate that girl. But, Shout like, it's not her fault. Hey, if you're <laughs> <laughs> listening, now,
0: <laughs> I'm on the Nick and Femi podcast. Yeah, no, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've made it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, just those sorts of things and, and always being stressed. Like you just never know if your brother's going to have a meltdown in public and, mm. and what that's going to look like. And and I remember once like back in the day, I don't know if you guys went to the Gold Coast Airport back in the day. It was like, t- well, it's still pretty small, but it was tiny. It was, yeah. a, it was a real hole. There was nothing to do. How long ago? Uh, Probably like 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It was really, really old and there was nothing to do. And um, our plane was delayed for four hours. And my brother at the time would have been four or five. And he was, he like, he'd held it together to a certain point. um, And he just lost it. He just, he'd had enough. He loves planes as well. So he just really wanted to get on the plane. And this, this lady just turned around and was like, Control your kid. Mm. And I, again, have never forgotten it because I'm like, don't you think we're trying like do you think do you think we're sitting here enjoying this meltdown with the rest of you like if you my mum now what she does is if someone says anything to her she turns around and goes um here's my business card if you find the cure for autism can you (laughs) let me (laughs) know (laughs) because it's just like that's the biggest thing like the judgment and the stigma from society that still exists to this day is really hard for families to manage
0: and how do you deal with that carers fatigue because sometimes it's very easy to fall into that oh for right? sure for sure and it's not and i think that we also have a lot of judgment associated with people that get exhausted and get Mm. tired you know having to to care for someone with developmental delay so what first of all what does carers fatigue even look like what is it Mm. and what do you think are some strategies that people can take to be able to manage that
2: so carers fatigue is basically if you like if you or i were burnt out like completely burnt out but it's kind of like on steroids because you can be burnt out and go home and not have anyone to care for Mm. whereas a carer may like for me for example i go i have a really hectic job and then i go home and i've got my own family mm. and then i've got my brother's mm. concerns and and everything that's going on with my brother you know on top of that yeah. so it's like you're just being pulled from so many angles and there's it, it kind of presents like depression um or even sometimes irritability and aggression because you know just when you're tired and you've just had enough you kind of just really snappy at everyone yeah. yeah. um and my biggest thing i i actually have a podcast episode out oh, on this. oh
0: okay <laughs> Competition Sorry uh, yeah, uh, Are you uh, going to uh, edit that out yeah. Yes, <laughs> I actually have a
2: <laughs> <laughs> But I always say Like when it comes to Carer fatigue It's kind of Like you, you need to talk To someone that understands What you're going through yeah. So for me growing up a lot of the time people have said to me like oh why don't you go see someone and and talk to a psychologist that may be able to understand what you're going through i'm like cool but find me a psychologist that has a brother with autism because that's a very unique set of challenges so i say the same thing for carers like find someone that it doesn't need to be a professional but go talk to someone that knows Mm -hmm. what you're going through and can empathize with your situation um and and also for carers and it's a lot easier said than done but you've got to do things for yourself because you're not going to be able to turn up for that person that you're caring for yeah. if you're so burnt out yourself like yeah. you're not gonna you know what i mean you can't be the best version of yourself for them if you're not the best version of yourself for yourself mm. yeah
1: 100 yeah. i think you know we hear this a lot of times not even just specifically with your with a brother or a sibling that mm. suffers with autism but even just with other factors as well just yeah, like, for with sure. like you know sound actual physical yeah. um issues that we're trying to manage and all these kind of things mm. and, and i think the theory sounds good i know and i speak to a lot of our clients and patients around this but the theory sounds good about like yeah. okay let me take some time for myself, but at the same Mm. time I'm at home Mm. and I can see that, you know, he or her obviously needs me. you must support. How do people go about to setting that boundary in a way that, you know, is communicated clearly, that Mm. they don't feel bad, no guilt or shame, surrounded by that, and they can actually sustain that Mm. for a long time. Cause I know a lot of people that will do it for some time, but yeah. then if they do do it, they're carrying that guilt and shame, which then transpires in other yeah. areas of yeah, their lives. Yeah, for so. sure.
2: I definitely think when it comes to that guilt that you experience, I, I don't know if that will ever – I don't know if that goes away, mm. to be honest. Because it's like you care so much for this person who is is in most cases a family member of yours and you, and you want to be there for them and you just want to do everything. Yeah. but. At, at some point you just can't. Mm, and it mm. went, taking that break... Like I remember even me as a new mum taking like an hour to myself to go to a doctor's appointment, I'd feel so guilty. So I can only imagine how like my mum felt
1: back mm, in the day yeah. having
2: to separate from my brother for that. Yeah. I think now... Um, and obviously this isn't the case for everyone, but now with the NDIS rolling out, Mm. um, a lot of families have a lot more funding that they can use towards respite services so that they know their family members are still getting support in some aspects. They're not just leaving them alone or plopping them in front of the TV, but they can then know that their loved one is cared for and then go out and do something for themselves as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting what you said as well, Nick, because it's it's not even just with development. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Developmental.
0: it's such a (laughs) developmental development yeah yeah for sure got that (laughs) (laughs) no but it's not just that but it's like nick like what nick said it's like when you have like a a a partner that's Mm. severely anxious yeah or majorly depressed Mm. that can be very taxing absolutely
2: absolutely and it's really hard and especially obviously if there's kids involved in that aspect you've got to like try and shelter the kids from a little Mm. bit of that because, you know, you don't want them to see everything that's going on. You want them to have some sort of understanding, but you want to shelter them as much as you can. So (laughs) the... the the parent that's, you know, acting in the carer's role has so much on their plate. It's exhausting and it's no wonder there is such a high prevalence of carer burnout. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. Say. And mm. I guess
1: what I took from what you were saying is just like switching it from being like, I'm not going to experience that guilt and shame, but more yeah. to be like, well, I'm get, this is what the reality is yeah. and coming down to actually being able to accept that and that's Absolutely. more of a process to kind of navigate as opposed to try to dismiss something that's mm. probably can't be dismissed. Yeah,
2: exactly. I think as well when it comes to like developmental conditions, it's really hard because like... If you look at, if you're a carer for someone with depression, for example, there's certain things that you can do, and you and you always like obviously hope and pray that eventually they'll be able to, with medication or with therapy or anything like that, they'll be able to work through that, and Mm. there's an outcome possible at the end, right? But when you have a developmental condition, like for example, level three autism, there are obviously things you can do, and you can do lots Mm. of therapy, but Mm. the prognosis, uh, you know, this this might offend some people, but it's not great. Like yeah. in regards to autism being a chronic condition, if you're mm. born with it, you're ha- you have it for life.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what do you think then? Because obviously there's obviously a lot of stigma, a lot of judgment on mm. neurodevelopmental disorders. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions and what can we do obviously as clinicians and health professionals to be able to kind of address this?
2: Yeah. So I've got four main ones that I think are like the four main misconceptions when it comes to like, more so like autism specifically, but Mm. I guess any developmental condition. So when it comes to autism, one of the most common misconceptions is that kids with autism or anyone with autism doesn't want to socialise and doesn't want friends. And that just couldn't be further from the truth because Mm. even though they may not look like they want friends or they don't know how to interact with their friends properly doesn't mean Mm. they don't want them. It just means that we need to teach them how to do that in a way that our society deems acceptable. So an example is like I work with a little boy who um, often like in the playground, he he really wants to play with this group of kids, doesn't know how. Mm. So he takes their hats off their heads and runs away with them Mm. because in his mind... Them chasing him is That's part bad. of a game, and yeah. then he's included in that group. Yeah, and yeah. And the the teacher might say something like, "Oh, he just doesn't he doesn't care about the friendships. He just wants to annoy the other kids." And it's like, mm. "Well, no, he doesn't. We we need to equip him with the tools to be able to then effectively show people that he wants to play yeah. and 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 he can manage that s- situation because it's not just about teaching him to um, initiate the interaction. It's also managing." The, yeah, yeah. so that's that's a really really important one um, the second one is that a lot of kids with um, developmental disabilities we assume that they have a low IQ and Mm -hmm. that just couldn't be further from the truth a lot of especially if we're talking about autism a lot of autistic people actually have quite a high iq Mm. um and in in the cases that it looks like on paper they have a low iq it's because our um intelligence tests aren't (laughs) like made in a way that Mm. truly shows the gifts that these people have Mm. and then you know people say well a lot of autistic kids should be in specialized schooling and they shouldn't be in mainstream schooling and you know what for some kids that's true they, they do really they would thrive in a specialized schooling environment but a lot of those special schools have um an iq requirement of being below 70. so mm. if you're autistic and you're you don't have an intellectual disability then where do you where do you fit mm. you know what i mean you don't yeah. you don't fit in either category mm. you don't fit in the specialized learning school and you don't fit in mainstream school so you know you're kind of set up to fail yeah. um in that regard Um, The next one, oh, this is a good one, that a lot of kids with uh, developmental disorders are loud and disruptive and they're not. Like a lot of them fly under Mm. the radar. So even when we're talking about ADHD, you've got your hyperactive disruptive kids but you've got your inattentive kids too. Mm. And they fly under the radar because a lot of teachers obviously have these huge classes and they're um, overworked. Mm. So if a kid's not messing up, then that's great. That's one less problem for the teacher. And we just need to be really mindful that that's not necessarily... Um, the case, and I guess that flow flows into my last one, which is that um, all high-functioning um, autistic people don't need support. And again, that's not true. A lot of high-functioning autistics and a lot of high-functioning people with any form of developmental disability still need support, even if at face value they look like they're coping really well.
1: Mm. Um, I think that's really, really interesting. Even a lot of, them, a lot of the misconceptions that you were talking about, I, even mm. in my head I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually yeah. really interesting. So mm. it's cute. It's interesting to see like how much of these misconceptions that we have and even whether we have it at a conscious level or subconscious level, how it kind of plays day-to-day in our lives For when sure. we kind of interact and do things with people that are experiencing these things. Yeah. So I find that like super, super fascinating. I think that what we'll do now is that we'll take a short break because um, we obviously we've got some... Big bills to pay, obviously. Shout out courtesy <laughs> of Femi and all the stuff that he damages. So, <laughs> so I'll see you guys in a second. If you're going through a tough time and you're looking for some support. Maybe a podcast is not the best place for you. Yeah, exactly. And mental health can be a bit tricky and support should always be personalised. So we created the recharge program to do exactly that. So the recharge program is your one stop shop for all things mental
0: health support. It's an online program that allows you to have the best and most experienced clinical
1: experts at your fingertips
0: without the intimidating kind of setting of a clinical approach.
1: Exactly. So this is how it works. We match you up with the best counsellor for your needs. You get one-to-one time with your own mental health nurse, over 200 plus minutes of content, weekly workshops with us and guest experts in different fields, such as emotional eating, anger management, addiction and more.
0: So usually this will cost an arm and a leg, but we've worked really hard to give you payment options for as cheap as about 30 bucks a week.
1: So if this resonates with you, jump onto rechargewellness.com.au and click get started to talk to our team and see if this is right for you. So
0: that's rechargewellness.com.au
1: cool so emily talk to us like so the people that are diagnosed Mm. and are suffering with neurodevelopmental neurodevelopmental disorders what are the treatment options that are available for them
2: so i guess it kind of depends but Usually people with neurodevelopmental disorders see a psychologist, um, see an OT, so an occupational therapist, and see a speech pathologist. And that's probably the best approach in regards to like having a really integrated team and making sure that everyone's on the same page of goals, everyone can work on things differently. So for example, if the goal is like, increasing social skills, yeah. right? The psych might work on things from like a behavioural perspective and teaching the appropriate things to do in social situations. Yeah. The speechy might work on things like social communication and reciprocal mm. conversations and yeah. teaching those sorts of skills. Yeah. And then the OT might work on, you know, the emotional regulation and the calm down strategies or what happens when there's sensory overload and that sort yeah. of thing. Mm. So if we're all working together but from different aspects, we can target those goals a lot Um easier um and then of course there's like medication that many families choose to go down that path as well
1: yeah it sounds very like ideal for a lot of people to have like a whole team of allied health professionals working together but it's very rare that we see that in the community. absolutely for the people in the community that don't have the access and let's say the funding for all of these services like it might be hard to answer this question but if there's Mm. one route that you're going to go to be able to get support would you say to be like uh, would you say okay go to a psychologist or go mm. to a gp take medication or what do you think let's say someone with a low socioeconomic status for yeah. example yeah,
0: these are all i was going to say these are all very they're expensive.
2: So expensive. Yeah, yeah. They're all expensive yeah for sure they're so expensive so i know
1: it's a tough question because like oh it's kind of kind of depend. but yeah. for people that are yeah, going through this because this is real life like, yeah where would you kind of tell someone to go
2: so i would personally start with psychology because psychology can do a lot of the like first of all can do a lot of the diagnostic assessments yeah right and then your psychologist can say let's do if you don't have the budget to do them all at once, let's do five sessions with me and then maybe let's do five sessions with speech and have a break from psych and then let's do five sessions with OT and kind of do it that way. So your psych can help you like really put together a bit of a plan and just because you may not have the funding or you may not have the money to do all three doesn't mean you're going to miss out on everything altogether Mm. um and these days as well um in a lot of the government schools they have like government ot's come out and obviously it's not like your once a week therapy it's not that frequent Mm. but at least they can get some assessments done and that sort of thing through government funding not not all the time but yeah. ho- like with some kids that's yeah. the
1: case and what do you find because i know that in school for example like with the, with the peers that i used to mingle with a lot of some of them actually were suffered from like autism and adhd mm. and i knew there was a every time in our principal would call like, all right kids come take your medications there was yeah. a lot of like stigma in there you yeah. could see that they were shying away from that because it kind of like made them feel like they were like external different. to us they're yeah. different so when you guys have – when you guys offer solutions like that that are in the school, do you find kids are re- um, willing to engage and stuff like that or – Yeah,
2: so, well, if I go to a school, which, yeah. I, which I do for some kids for a number of reasons, like mum might work nine to five and can't bring – kids in after school and that sort of thing. If I go in, I always go to the office and then I tell the office to call the class teacher and the class teacher sends the child to the room that we're meeting in. So it's oh. not like I'm knocking on the door and being like, "You who, Nick, <laughs> it's your psychology appointment. <laughs> Come on, we've got to work on your problem. <laughs>
0: We have a lot to go through today, yeah. man. <laughs> Wow, what a mixed <laughs> bag of was. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> a big flower. Oh, I know.
2: <laughs> oh, I see. All the ways that you're being naughty at school. So it's not like that. It's like, yeah. yeah, I try and do it as discreetly as possible. And then there are other kids that, like, you walk into the school and the, the kids say, this is my psychologist. Yeah. Like, at the top of their lungs. Yeah, so yeah. it depends. And I right. always just try and go on, on, like, the vibe that the kid's giving me. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, great, great. So what if somebody is, they level one mm. autistic yep. and they've grown up relatively kind of like functioning yep. and able to do stuff, but they're starting to struggle a little bit more for a variety of reasons, mm. right? Maybe their job is becoming a little bit more taxing than what mm. they anticipated and they're not really coping. Would you still suggest going through those routes? Because it's sounding that that is ideal at a younger age. That's yes. what it sounds like. Yeah, it definitely so, is. So what do they do? Do they still go with a psychologist and a speech path and OT, or should they just go with a psychologist, or try to go, th- you know, or go to a GP and get Medicare? I don't know. Like, yeah, I think
2: I think for adults, you're definitely better off starting again with, spe- uh, with sorry psychology, because mm. I think when you go to a psychologist, they can determine like um, yes, your overarching diagnosis is autism, but are you currently presenting with autistic? problems, like in regards to social skills, or are you presenting with a mood disorder or are you mm. presenting with anxiety? And before you kind of start with the strategies, you need to like uncover all of that and uncover.
0: What a That's <laughs> a great you. name for a podcast. <laughs> My yeah. God, you guys should, anyway. <laughs> um, and
2: like, yeah, get to the bottom of what's going on because this is what I say to a lot of families as well, because like if you look at autism and ADHD right there's so many um, behaviours that overlap and it's really hard to figure out what's autism and what's ADHD. So in order to figure that out you really need to like delve deep and figure out the why that's underlying the behaviour. So Mm. if you have the example of a kid with autism and a kid with ADHD both not responding to their name when it's called right. The kid with ADHD knows to respond to their name. They know that that's the social rule, you respond to your name when it's being called, but they don't do it because of inattention and hyperactivity. The kid Mm. with autism doesn't know that that's what they're supposed to do and they need to be taught. So Mm. same behavior, but the why is totally different and that's how you differentiate what
1: each child needs. That's actually very, very interesting. Mm. A very good way to kind of look at it. Yeah. Like underline the what, not just look at the symptom just yeah. as it is, but actually trying to understand. Okay, well, what does that actually mean? For sure. And that's
2: why, like, a lot of people don't like labels, and I get yeah. that. I, hundred percent, I understand that, and I empathize with, with that. But sometimes, without those labels, it's really challenging mm. as a professional to figure out what's going on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 When you guys are doing the screening for it, because this could be like, the, does it go over a course of days to be able to diagnose someone with autism or ADHD? Because mm. like how someone presents to you today could be completely different tomorrow. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, and
1: how do you differentiate between oh, this person just might just be acting or behavioural and just be putting it on show yeah. as opposed to actually really going through that? Like how yeah. do you guys?
2: So especially with ADHD, we definitely need the behaviours to be present in more than one context so we might get like the we might get like a questionnaire filled out by the teacher we might get a questionnaire filled out by the family Mm -hmm. might do some sessions with the child and we might then even like do a school observation and even do an IQ test to look at the working memory and processing speed because they're usually the two things that are affected by um inattention um so we look at it that way so I I personally like to do a very integrated or like holistic approach whereas a lot of people don't and that's totally fine but when it comes to autism I want the opinion of a speechy, I want the opinion of the OT, I want the opinion of the paediatrician because, like, there are a lot of people, I think, that are diagnosed with autism that um, were accidentally diagnosed with Mm. autism because the assessment process wasn't done effectively.
1: Mm, It's quite concerning to be honest. It when is. I think yeah. about that. It's like, oh wow, and it
2: sticks with you for life. Like yeah. you don't just throw it in the bin when yeah, you don't exactly. want it anymore. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. And that's not to say that people. Are, I think people with level one have like taken a diagnosis they don't need. I'm just saying that sometimes it's on the professionals, and the professionals yeah. haven't done their due diligence in figuring out exactly what's going on. Yeah.
0: Do you sure. think there's more likely to be misdiagnosed with ADHD than? Than autism? Uh,
2: yeah, I definitely think ADHD is overdiagnosed.
0: I was going to say, yeah. because I remember when, because I remember, look, this is going to offend a lot of people, but yeah. this is what I heard and what I experienced when I was younger. I yeah. There was like a lot of times where, so I grew up in Blacktown and yeah. I went to schools that weren't exactly the you know
2: yeah.
0: the wealthiest, but anyway. Um, and I remember there was like, maybe like this is going back 15, 20 years ago. And I think there was like a government incentive where they were giving some funding if your kid had, it was ADHD or yeah. something. And then he, all of a sudden yeah. next term, everyone had ADHD, ADHD yeah. everybody had ADHD. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, like, first of all, what are your thoughts on that? And what's the, what's it like now? And how do you, how do you av- like avoid overdiagnosed
2: yeah. well I guess the way you avoid it is by getting so many professionals on board mm. and yes that can be ex- expensive but it's so important because if a child is, is overdiagnosed that can like is wrongly diagnosed sorry, that can cause like a self fulfilling prophecy you know yeah. so like you think that like everything that's going wrong in your life is because of this diagnosis yeah. Um, yeah. and that sort of thing and, and they may feel like well hang on that's not me mm. but there must mm. be something wrong because this is a diagnosis I've been given yeah. and that sort of thing and what are what is most sad about the overdiagnosis is that people with true ADHD that really struggle don't get the help they need because yeah. funding is so thinly stretched now. And I think. Um Saying, like, oh, I have ADHD is the new Like, I have OCD. So, so many people saying, like, oh, I'm so OCD about that, but they don't have OCD. And that's, oh, my anxiety's through the root. But you're not anxious. Like, yeah, if, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that's the new thing. Like, people are like, oh, my God, my ADHD, huh? Oh, I need Ritalin. Like, oh, give me yeah. the Ritalin. And it's like, What? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I went to so to uni with a lot of people that took Ritalin just to try and yeah, to To help them study. And I'm like, you do realize if you don't have ADHD and your brain structure isn't the. Like that of someone with ADHD, it's not going to help you. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> like, mm. but I spoke to a lot of friends that said I haven't taken it myself, but I spoke to a lot of friends that are like, yeah, I had so much good benefits. Like I need to take Ritalin when I do my, um, mm. my when I'm studying. So do you think then they're just putting it on? Like or it's just I think it's thought? just a, it's placebo. a placebo. placebo. Yeah, effect, yeah, yes. say, yeah, for sure. Right. I think
2: it's placebo because like you will see when a child with ADHD takes Ritalin, and and it's the right medication for them. It's not for everyone. Yeah. They. Mm. Like they're a different kid, and you can see the second it wears off as well. Mm, like as soon as it yeah. wears off, you're like, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah.
0: Because yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a lot of like, there's a lot of people that take Ritalin and find that it doesn't affect, like doesn't help yeah. them to have ADHD. And then there's the battle between Ritalin and Vivans and mm. all that kind of stuff. Like, what do you find? Do you suggest that if you feel like somebody that's got ADHD. At what point do they say, do they question the medication? Mm. At what point do they say, okay, look, maybe this isn't really effective. Maybe this isn't really doing anything. Can we try something else? Um, or should I just trust the process or, yeah, what's your what's your kind of like take on that?
2: So as a psychologist, I never, like, I don't believe it's in my like scope of practice mm. to say like, you need medication, you, you shouldn't yeah. take it, blah, <laughs> blah. I'm not yeah, a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. But I always say to families like, go to your doctor and chat to them. The worst case scenario, you leave with a script, but it's your choice whether you fill that script or not. The, mm. the, the, the paediatrician is not going to force you to fill the script, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I think for some kids, um, medication can be life-changing. I really yeah. do. I'm, I, and I fully understand because, you know, we made the choice to medicate my brother and that was a really hard decision as a family. For some kids, they don't need it. And if you don't want to do that for your family, that's that again is your choice and that's totally fine. Mm. But some kids really thrive off that and it gives them that like almost that like filter that they need to be able to like hone down the impulse control and like really think about what they're going to do before they Mm, do it and that makes therapy more effective because they take that split second to think before they act yeah
0: Yeah, and that's beautiful and i think that people oftentimes discount the benefits of medication because i know someone that has adhd and she was always telling me that she doesn't want to take it because obviously there's obviously the feeling of like I don't want to feel like I need to take mm-hmm. something to make my brain work. Yeah. Like, and that's what she would constantly be saying to me, which is obviously understandable. Yeah, But it's also very, it's sometimes it, it, it downplays the impact that yeah. it can have in your life. Absolutely. If you do take mm. it. And it's like, if you're asthmatic, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? If you're exactly. asthmatic, you're kind like, I don't want to take, some.
2: I, I don't take my in- insulin inhaler to, to make my make
0: my lungs work.
2: Yeah. Ah, oh, you're gonna die yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <gonna> it. <die> <laughs> what, what, what do you want me to say? Yeah,
0: so, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um,
2: it's a, And I think as well, there's still so much stigma about medication, and there's a lot of keyboard keyboard warriors yeah. that are like parents that are like, Ritalin didn't work for my kid. It almost killed my kid. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but that doesn't happen to everyone. Yeah, there are sucks. some kids that thrive off Ritalin and they need it to be able to function, and that's okay. If you don't want it for your family, that's totally fine. But keep that opinion to your family because it scares other parents that may want to go down that route from going down that route. Yeah, exactly. exactly. exactly.
1: So I think this has been an excellent podcast. I want to conclude it with a final thing, and this is going to be more towards like for the parents and people that are listening. Mm. What would be your one tip of advice for people that, you know, they might have a child Mm. that's suffering from any form of neurodevelopmental disorder or delay? Um, what would you be telling them to do? What would be your first step and piece of advice?
2: So my first piece of advice was would be to find yourself like some sort of forum to make you feel like you're not alone. So there mm. are a lot of parent support groups out there, especially now that social media has blown up. You yeah. know, there's so mm. much out there that wasn't available 20 years ago when my brother was diagnosed. Yeah. So that would be my number one piece of advice. My number two piece of advice would to always seek the help of a professional because mm. worst case scenario, you go there and they say, oh, you know, you don't really need to be here. You guys have things under control. Best yeah. case scenario, mm. you're getting in early and yeah. you're getting the support and the help you need and you've got someone on your side to help you if you need to go to the school and have a meeting with the school. You're not alone.
1: Yeah. Mm. yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I've loved that. Honestly, aside from the little technical issues you have with the camera, <laughs> i <find this laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, YouTubers. But this has been an, an, an oh, excellent. 13 of you. Oh, 13 of our viewers. You're going to be so disappointed. <laughs> but I've, I've honestly really, really enjoyed it. It's been so insightful and I've learned so much about it. And I think for our listeners as well, there's going to be such a big light bulb moment for anybody. So, if anybody wants to kind of know a bit more about what you do and they want to get involved, like, how do people kind of get in touch with you?
2: Um, Yeah, so you can go on my website or just follow me on my Instagram account, which has my website on it. So that's just at the Playful Psychologist. The
1: Playful Psychologist. A great app.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Worked
1: hard. Very memorable. (laughs) No, it is, to be (laughs) honest. It's it's lit. It's actually very lit. I'm like, oh, I like that. Um, And you guys know where to find us at All Things Nick and Femi. Till next time, I'll see you guys on another episode of Uncovered with Nick. And yeah. Family, I mean, love and guidance. <laughs> baby. Love you all.